0: To another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is a summer episode of Search News You Can Use. July 15th of 2020, I'm recording this, and we've got loads of stuff to talk about. There was maybe a very small update in the beginning of July. Google released some documentation about ranking and Discover that talks about EAT, so that was very exciting to me. Um, We've got some really good Q&A questions in this episode as well. Uh, One of them is about whether or not you can use FAQ schema on a services page and the other is about uh, a website that is only partially mobile-friendly and whether that's going to impact that website's ability to rank in the future. I'll give my thoughts on that as well. Um, as always, this episode of uh, Search News You Can Use is connected to a print version that you can find online, episode number 141 of Search News You Can Use. You can find that at mariehaines.com newsletter. What to talk about first? You know, we always talk about algorithm updates, and uh, it's getting a little bit repetitive where most weeks we go, oh, well, something happened here, but it's not enough for us to actually uh, dig in and figure out what it is that Google's doing. We had one of those kind of mini updates on July 6th, potentially July 5th, it started. Um, A small handful of our clients saw increases, which was nice. Often, the type of increase we see is something that we would say, yeah, this looks like Google changed something in their algorithms. Uh, One of the ways we can know that is that the increase, we couldn't tie it down to a particular event happening. It was an increase that was across the vast majority of pages on a website, um, as opposed to just one post that suddenly is doing really well or maybe is very topical or seasonal at the time. Um, So I do think something happened, uh, but very similar to when we first started looking at what happened mid-June. Uh, June 23rd, 22nd or so, we said the same thing. Google did something probably not enough to write about. And then uh, we started getting people commenting and uh, writing and sending us emails saying, hey, my site's traffic dropped on June 23rd. Uh, And so we looked into that more in detail and uh, last week we published a blog post on what actually we thought happened with the June 22nd, 23rd update. It looks like Google uh, rewarded a lot of websites that were very very authoritative um so uh government websites dot orgs things like that uh for many many queries saw a, a significant boost and we explained in our uh, uh post on the june update you can find it if you just search for june google update you can add marie haynes if you can't find it it was ranking number one but i think we've slipped down a little bit uh, since then um and, uh, and you can read what we uh, what we discovered about how many of our clients that were ranking number one for a certain query um, suddenly dropped to number two or three, and what we found was that uh, ranking above them now was a .gov site or a .org site that would be seen by most as being highly authoritative. Um, so, you know, it's possible that what happened on uh, July 6th is something similar to this, but at this point, we really didn't see enough connections amongst the sites that. Improvements uh, for us to warrant an inf- uh, uh, an investigation. The other thing that's kind of weird is we didn't have any sites in our profile that I can recall uh, that had a significant decline at this time. So if your traffic changed significantly around July 6th, I'd love for you to tweet at me. Um, you can tweet at me Marie underscore Haynes, H A Y N E S, and uh, and you know let me know if your site was negatively affected uh, on July 6th and you can't tie it to a seasonal thing in some cases uh with the coronavirus some parts of the world are opening up and other parts of the world are going back into lockdown and those can drastically impact your uh, business's traffic as well so this makes it always tricky to figure out you know is it an algorithm update or did something actually happen in the world to uh, affect traffic Um, but usually you can you can figure that out if you look at what types of posts were affected I remember when this whole thing first started, uh, and you know, just around the time of March 10th. When the World Health Organization declared coronavirus to be a worldwide pandemic, uh, we started seeing massive changes in search uh, connected to things that were happening in the world and not necessarily something Google did. I still think that whatever happened on July 6th was a Google update. It's probably a tweak of some things. And again, if it gets more complicated or uh, looks like more sites were affected, then we'll do a full investigation into that. Uh, I really enjoyed reading Google's new documentation documentation on Discover. Uh, I've been talking a lot about Discover over the last year or so And if you are not paying attention to Discover, you really should be. Um, Discover traffic, and I I, I know I've said this lots of times, but not everybody uses Discover. So uh, just for the sake of those who are wondering what the heck is Discover traffic, um, if you have a Google phone, an Android phone, I don't even know if this is the case on iPhones. I think it could be if you're using the Google app. Um, I haven't used an iPhone for quite a few years. I think my last was an iPhone 5. If you're using a Google phone, though, for certain you can get to your Discover feed very easily by just swiping right on your home page, on your phone, and not your home page, but your home screen. And um, then what you see is a feed that's curated for you. It's kind of like a news feed, but it's got stuff in it that's maybe not necessarily news for most people. And for me, you know, I have a lot of Fortnite content in my news feed, my Discover feed, because I enjoy reading stories about what's happening in Fortnite these days. Um, And so Google's algorithms have figured out that this is really important for me. And whenever there's uh, something new about Fortnite that everybody's paying attention to, it pops into my Discover feed feed. Um, and if you've seen your traffic, you can see it in Search Console. You can see how much traffic you're actually getting from Discover. Uh, and if quite commonly what you'll see is that you'll get a spike in traffic for three or four days. And then it'll sort of go away again. And it's not always recent posts that do it. Um, you know, I recently, what was I searching for? I was searching for something. It was a recipe for something. And, uh, and then Google was all of a sudden popping into my Discover feed uh, other recipes that were similar to this one. It's really kind of neat that I wasn't specifically searching you know, later on, a week later, I wasn't searching for this recipe, but I actually did find that article very useful to me. Uh, And so this is what Google's trying to do, is trying to say, look, we know you like information on this, so here's some other articles that our algorithms have deemed maybe would be good for you to, uh, to read as well. So Google put out this new documentation on Discover. And I'm going to read from it here the part that was most exciting to me. Quote, Our automated systems surface content in Discover from sites that have many individual pages that demonstrate expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. EAT. Those looking to improve EAT can consider some of the same questions and they link to their blog post on uh, core updates. We encourage uh, site owners to consider for search. While search and discover are different, the overall principles for EAT as it applies to content with them are similar. Now, what does that mean? You know, and I saw these conversations on Twitter of people saying, well, does this mean we can optimize for Discover, that we can't optimize for Discover? And ultimately, what Google's saying here is they don't want to put something in your Discover feed uh, unless they can really feel confident that this comes from a website that they can trust. It comes from a website that others recognize as being authoritative on that particular subject. Uh, And so um, it's very, very important for a lot of websites to be appearing in that Discover feed. So if you are struggling to get Discover traffic, it may be that Google doesn't recognize your site as an authority. It might be that you have trust issues. Um, One example would be uh, one of the things we first saw in August of 2018 with the medic update was that websites that had um, reviews that were left all across the web that really indicated a problem with this business's reputation, those businesses tended to not display well in search. And I would imagine that if Google's algorithms can figure out, like, wait a second, Most people who are talking about this business have issues with it and they don't like it and they think they can't trust it and they can't get a refund and they had poor customer service and this and that and that's happening on a repeated basis then that could impact Google's assessment of trust for your website. Now, EAT is not as simple as like, ooh, I got a score of X on trust. You know, there's so many factors that are factored in here, but the reality is that Google does not want to be recommending websites that potentially could be harmful could be phishing websites, could be providing false information. And so all of these things that make up their assessment of EAT can be assessed for websites that they want to show even in your Discover feed. So it's just more evidence to show that EAT is important. Um, Can you optimize for EAT? Certainly you can. Now, That doesn't mean that you can take a business that has absolutely no reputation, no following, no signals of trust, and all of a sudden tomorrow be known as the most authoritative website on your topic in the world. That's not going to happen. But let's say you are a legitimate business, and maybe you're just not ranking as well as some of your competitors, but essentially you're just as good. There are many things you can do to improve on your EAT. Some of that is getting links. And I'm not talking about going out and writing guest posts. I'm talking about doing things that actually make people talk about your company. Doing some research, writing, you know, we've been putting a lot of stuff in our newsletter lately from Brody Clark. And Brody Clark does a lot of research where he'll say, look, here's this new FAQ schema that is appearing, or here's how-to schema that we're seeing happen. And Brody writes about it. And then we'll link to his article that he's written. Um, and if our website, uh, mariehaines.com, is seen as some sort of an authority in terms of SEO, we're not the authority, but we have some recognition. We have some EAT. And if we're linking out and saying, you know, we recommend this post that Brody Clark wrote, that speaks to his EAT. So links are a big component of that. Um, actually, having real life expertise, you know, if I wanted to write a website all about uh, the best office chairs that you can get, I don't I'm just I'm making this up on the spot I just looked up and saw an office chair I know lots about office chairs I've sat in them for quite a few years Uh, but I'm not an expert in office chairs and I might want to build a website um, to talk about office chairs and to sell them you know it's a possibility that maybe I want to do that Google's not going to want to rank that website until I get known as an expert on office chairs well how would you do that you start writing articles start doing studies Uh, again, I'm just thinking this up off the top of my head, but we could do a study and we could do a survey where we could uh, reach out to all of the SEO companies that we know and uh, talk about what their favorite qualities are in an office chair um, and get like an an element of firsthand expertise in there and that can build up towards your EAT. And this would be way better than me just saying, look, I've done some research, here's what other people say about these chairs. Uh, Instead, I'm saying, like, here's real-life people and their actual um, experience with using these chairs. The way that you write can explain to users, like, look, we're not just getting together all the information we can find on this subject. We're telling you stuff that you can't find elsewhere. We're telling you stuff that is real life experience in how we use this product, how people we actually know in real life are using this product. Uh, And that's something that speaks to more people than just like, here's a bunch of research that we did. Um, I I feel like I'm kind of uh, maybe complicating the issue a little bit, but my point is that you can improve upon EAT. It's not easy, though. It's not like something where you just tweak a meta tag and all of a sudden you're seen as having EAT. It's something that takes years to build up. It's building up a brand. It's building building up recognition as being known as the expert in that area. Uh, and so yes, that absolutely can be done. Google's given us some new information on image search. Starting this week on mobile devices in the US, certain images are now going to show related entity information in a knowledge panel. And this is new. Um, when we and I, I, I always struggle with how much to get into here because there's so much we don't know with how Google deals with entities and information and what's in the knowledge graph, but we know that it's very important. You know, We've talked a lot about uh, websites that dropped in June of last year with Google rankings. Many of them had information that contradicted scientific consensus, and we believe that a lot of what Google can determine is scientific consensus comes from what they've got as their knowledge of entities. Uh, they can say, you know, we recognize that the Mayo Clinic is an authoritative entity when it comes to health. And so things that come out of the Mayo Clinic are inherently things that Google can should be able to trust. Whereas medical knowledge that comes from uh, a random website that really has no information in terms of its entities, uh, the people that are involved in creating the content, uh, whether other people are recommending it as an authority, information that's on a website that's lacking this type of EAT-related information um, is not going to be treated as valuable as something that Google's got all sorts of data to gather together. Now, what's interesting is that they're talking about this in regards to image search now. I remember when uh, the June update happened last year where we saw many, many websites that contradicted scientific consensus, started to see a decline in rankings. And one of the things that we noticed was that the vast majority of their pages would see declines in organic rankings, but their image search was still good, and this made things tricky because we would look at something and say, "Oh, you know, you're ranking uh, according to Search Console. You're ranking, I don't know, number four for uh, alternative cure for blah blah blah. You know, and it was a, a, a medical article." Uh, about an alternative medicine cure or treatment that really wasn't widely accepted by traditional physicians as good. Um, And the organic side, like the post itself, would not rank anywhere, but images in that post would still rank for these things that Google had deemed to be potentially unsafe uh, advice because it came from untrustworthy websites or websites that just hadn't been established as being trustworthy in terms of medical topics. And so uh, what we were finding was that images were still ranking, and we really felt like uh, Google wasn't applying the same strict standards in terms of understanding whether an entity should be trusted, uh, whether it was authoritative um, or not. Uh, We felt that they weren't applying that to image search at the time. And we told a good number of our clients, like, hey, for now... You might as well take advantage of ranking in image search because uh, it's working. But one day, the door will probably close. And I feel like this announcement that Google's made is is the start of that door closing. I should have checked to see whether some of our our clients that – we had a few clients that came to us with websites that, unfortunately, our conclusion was – you know, Google's changed their algorithms so they don't want to surface this type of information, and we don't really see how that could change. Um, and occasionally, some of our reviews that we do, that's the conclusion is, look, you should be focusing on uh, social or some other channel that's actually bringing you customers because uh, if, if you're trying to convince Google's algorithms to rank you, it, it just may not happen. Um, so anyways... What was the loophole in image search, I think, is going to be closing at this point. Uh, Sistrix had a really good study talking about click-through rate. It's been a while since we've seen a recent study on click-through rates and, uh, you know, what SERP positions and SERP effects can impact your ability to have uh, people click through to your site. Um, There's a lot of data in this study, and I would encourage you to read it. We've linked to it from newsletter. They say there that the average click-through rate, if you have the first ranking position in Google, is about 28.5%. That seems about right to me. Now, obviously, it can vary greatly, and they do say that, you know, it varies between about 13% and 47% of people will click through the first result, depending on what types of uh, options they're given. Um, Search results that have ads, especially Google Shopping, tend to have a lower click-through rate, which totally makes sense because people have the option of clicking on ads or, or shopping listings. Um, And so, uh, you know, what can we gather from this? Well, we still want to be ranking really well, right? Uh, Our goal should be to rank extremely well for our queries. Um, I I found the study interesting and I would encourage you to each uh, read it. Let's talk about disavowing. Disavowing is one of the topics that's near and dear to my heart. Um, And we get asked about this a lot. So somebody asked on Twitter uh, about a particular website. I'll read it here. Uh, An an external website has quoted me and linked to my site. Uh, This is from Rachel Leone. Their article was then republished across multiple lower authority blogs and included my quote and link, but did not follow proper rel canonical tags. Does my website then get dinged for suspicious link patterns? So uh, if any of you have ever had a post published on a site like Moz, this happens all the time. Uh, if I, It's been a while since I've written for Moz. I probably should do something soon <laughs> for that. I, there's only so many hours in the day, right? Um, but when I used to have something published on the Moz website, I have all these Google alerts set up for my name, our company, just you know, people talking about us in the news. It's, it's good to know that. And you should have those alerts set up as well. I have Google alerts set up. And also if you're on Ahrefs, Ahrefs does a pretty good job at uh, telling you when one of your keywords or your name or your brand name has surfaced somewhere. Um, and so uh, if I write something for Moz, the next day I'll get all of these alerts saying like, oh, this spammy website has linked to you and this spammy website, though, well, Google doesn't say it's a spammy website, but you open up these links and you're like, oh my goodness, they just basically scraped the Moz blog and now the link that came from Moz's site to my website uh, is also coming from like 200 spammy websites that just scrape Moz's content. I don't even know why they do that because it's not like they're going to rank for that, but anyways, it happens. Um, Are those links considered unnatural links? And here's what John's reply was. John Mueller said, I'm pretty sure none of that is mentioned in our webmaster guidelines. Is there something specific you're worried about, which we mentioned in the webmaster guidelines? Just because links are placed without your input doesn't make them bad. And he added this interesting thing in brackets. It usually makes them good even. Interesting, right? Um, So... Let's go back to why we need to disavow. We need to disavow when we are concerned that Google is going to see, is going to think that we've been building links to try to improve our rankings. And Google knows that good websites get scraped and republished all the time. So if Google was about to penalize a website because all of a sudden they had 200 links coming in from spammy sites that scraped a a post on Moz, that wouldn't make any sense like pretty much every site that gets authoritative guest posts published would have uh, would have some type of a negative and, and that really doesn't make sense However, um, and then John also, I mean, there was a good discussion. We've actually linked to the Twitter discussion on this. So if you're interested in this conversation, you should uh, find, uh, again, this is episode number 141 of Newsletter. And, um, you know, you can link to the, you can read the full discussion from John Mueller and others. But John said, did you place those links there yourself, for example, by buying them? Just because a site isn't as high quality as yours doesn't mean that links from it will harm your site in any way. And this is a real misconception amongst many SEOs that disavowing should be based on something like domain authority or uh, how many sites are linking to these sites. And I'll tell you why there's this misconception. It's because a lot of the time, when sites have been purposely uh, linking, you know, maybe, maybe they've run some scripts to find uh, places where they can exploit websites and put in their own links pointing to their website. Or maybe they've got a similar script that finds forums that allow signatures uh, that have followed links in the signatures. Uh, and then they'll just drop their own link in there. When that type of thing happens there's intent behind that. There's intent to manipulate Google. When your own post gets scraped, and if the originating post was natural, then you don't need to worry about Google saying that, oh, these scraped versions are hundreds and hundreds of unnatural links now pointing to your website. Every single time, and I've seen a lot of manual actions for unnatural links, and we tend to see the really tricky cases where, um, you know, they've gone through a couple of SEO agencies that have not been able to get the manual action lifted, and then they come to us, uh, and in every single case, I can say, yeah, I can find the reason for the manual action. Like, it's not, I I think I had one case back in the days where Penguin was still very penalizing, that I I really felt that negative SEO had tanked this website. That's one case out of many, many hundreds that I've seen over the years. And in every other case, when a site got unnatural link penalty, if Google gave us examples, they were all links that either that site made or they were scraped versions of a post where the original post was unnatural. The link in the original post was a paid one. Now, if that happens, if you had a history of paying for links uh, or building links on a large scale that they weren't necessarily paid but they're not really votes for your site, so I'm talking about large-scale article marketing, something like that. Um, If you've been doing that and then those pages get scraped and uh, there's multiple copies around the web of those, then you have a problem. Um, And we have seen that type of link given as an example of an unnatural link, which is really frustrating. Um, Sometimes what we'll do is we'll have a site owner will give us a list and say, look, we hired this SEO company. Here's a list of the 400 links that they built for us. And we'll go and we'll we'll try to remove, if it's a manual action, we'll try to remove a lot of those links um, and we'll disavow what we can't get removed And then sometimes Google comes back to us and says, here's three examples of links that you did not deal with. And there are scraped versions of the originating post that we deemed to be unnatural. Um, And so that's where you need to be worrying. Now, uh, I guess the unsaid thing here is how does Google know whether it was you who did it, or whether the you know it was just because things were scraped. Um, and I'll tell you like they usually get it right. Uh, I, I know people will argue with me, um, but I, like I've seen so many cases and I, there's only that one case and even then it was a little bit iffy where I felt like uh, a site got a penalty un, uh, that was undeserved. Um, let's see, let's move on here. If you're, oh, okay, here's another question that was asked on Twitter. Uh, somebody was asking John Mueller about the fact that if they put a Google captcha, a recaptcha on their site, so the recaptcha is like a spam thing where you fill out a form and then it, it causes you to either, you know, do a math question or type these letters and are, the letters are all in some weird font or something. Um, and it's, it's to prevent spam from coming into your, uh, to your contact form. Um, And this person said, well, they're using the Google reCAPTCHA, and it's causing their entire site to load slowly. Um, My site loads in under three seconds without reCAPTCHA, this person says, but it takes seven to eight seconds with it. And so I guess the idea here is like, hey, this is Google's fault because it's Google's tool that they're using, and it made my page load slower, so why should Google punish me for that? Um, And John said users don't care whose fault it is when a website is slow sometimes there are multiple ways to embed something sometimes it makes sense to find other solutions it's important to know that if something you're putting on your page and there's another thing we have in newsletter I won't talk about it in podcast this week but about somebody complaining that ads were making their page slow so what are they supposed to do. It's important to know that if Google does demote a page inter- because of speed issues, it's rarely because your page is just slightly slower than your competitors. So like if my page loads in one second and your page that has ads loads in 1.5 seconds, it's not like Google's going to say, oh, my page is way better because yours takes way longer. What um, they're really concerned about is when it's really frustrating for users. So if you're using uh, Google Ads, you're using, uh, I guess it would be AdSense on your website. Uh, If you're using uh, Google ReCAPTCHA or any other type of script, whether it's from Google or some other source, um, and that's causing your pages to be slow, then you have to weigh the pros and cons. We had one client who was really super uh, obsessed with page speed. And uh, he actually took off his Google Analytics uh, so that he could get a 100% page speed insights score. And, you know, he got the 100%, but then we were like, look, we can't analyze anything. So there's a toss up, you know, 100% is not going to make you rank higher than a site that has 95%, uh, a 95 score on page speed insights. Um, and so you need to weigh the pros and cons. So even if it comes from Google, if it is slowing your pages down to the point where it's annoying to users, then maybe you need to look at other options uh, or, you know, finding a different way to fight the spam on your website. But my guess is that in this case, it just slightly slowed the site down. And, um, uh, you know, it's probably not a big deal. Um, more, oh, we got lots out of Google Help Hangouts this week. Uh, my team, so uh, this week Brie on my team was transcribing uh, the l- most recent Google Help Hangouts and then I go through them and pull out what I think is really interesting and there was a lot of really interesting stuff. I'm not going to cover all of it in podcast because we'd be here for way too long. Uh, but here's a couple of the things I thought were really interesting. Um, somebody asked John Mueller about how many websites are acceptable in Google's eyes for a business to have. Like we all know if, uh, you know, if I had an SEO agency that I wanted to rank locally and I was like, um, you know, I'm going to call my one website, OttawaSEOCompany.com and my second website, TorontoSEOCompany.com and then I'm going to do Vancouver S- VancouverSEOCompany.com Uh, And I have, uh, you know, a hundred different websites all for the different cities that in my country that essentially could be the same website. Those are doorway sites. But there are other situations. So this one example in um, the latest Help Hangout was a website that, let's see, he says, what would happen if uh, a website decides to create a new website dedicated to just the fashion section that they have in their website, and now they want to run two different websites. And I understand that. Like, I think a lot of people do that um, because it's easier to target certain keywords. You could say, look, our website covers like all aspects of this particular industry, and we have this section on our website that talks about fashion, Uh, and you know, we could optimize an entire website towards fashion and maybe it would rank better. The thing is that none of this takes into account EAT. This is my thought, not John's response. Maybe I'll start with John's response here. Um, John says, first of all, if you have just two websites, so in this case where there's a business with one main business website and then they want to have the second website that's just dealing with fashion, uh, which is a component of their business. He says, we would try, essentially, to treat it as two websites. Now, in my mind, that's an issue. Because if I've worked really hard to build up EAT, to be known as, like, look, our website is known as an authority in X, Y, and Z. And uh, and that's something that we've worked over the years to establish that, like, if you come to this website, this is what we know. And now you've got another website where you have to get established as like, look, if you're talking about fashion, our website's the one. You almost essentially have to build EAT for this new website. You have to, and you know, and you can't, I don't think you can really rely on the EAT of the parent business Because you're trying to treat those as two separate websites. So if Google can figure out, and we've talked about this before, several years ago John Mueller uh, commented to somebody that if Google can figure out that your code base for these two different websites are very similar, and the content is very similar, and who knows, maybe the contact information is similar, they may just fold it all into one. And what that means is that they're trying to pick the best page from like one of your websites to rank. They don't want to rank both of your websites. And I think a lot of people that do this, that try to create a new website, it's because you want to gain, you know, you want to rank in multiple positions on the first page, as opposed to just your one website ranking. So John actually addressed that. He says, what won't happen is that you're ranking at number three, and then suddenly you're ranking at number two and three. That's not going to happen. He said it It can dilute a bit of the value in your big, strong website. Um, so, you know, and then the question always is, well, how many websites could be seen as doorway sites? He says, with regards to two websites like that, I don't see a problem. If you're going in the direction of like creating 10 or 20 websites, then that's something where I could see our quality algorithms kicking in, uh, and saying this looks a bit like doorway sites. So, um, you know, I I think somebody asked us just this week about that, that they wanted to create a second website so they could more uh, appropriately target certain keywords. And our advice is almost always to just focus on one site. Uh, There can be some situations where it makes sense to, uh, to create another site. But keep in mind that it's not just the website you're creating. Like you need to build a whole business behind this if you're trying to rank for any sort of important keywords. Um, otherwise EAT for some just random website that's not associated with your main website can be tricky. And if it is associated with your main website, well then you might as well just have one website because Google's going to tie all those signals in together. So I, I know, I know there's edge cases and there might be situations where you'd want more than one site, but for the vast majority of cases, uh, if you're trying to rank things on Google, it's best to focus on one super strong, powerful domain. Are category pages considered duplicate content? I think most people would understand what I'm talking about here, where, uh, and it's usually the case with a WordPress site, that you have a category, and that category is essentially going to have a page that's like excerpts uh, from your. Uh, from your actual blog posts Um, and so you can say here's our fashion category and uh, here's all the posts that we have categorized as dealing with fashion Um, the problem is that most of the time those category pages are just quotes from the original article and so there's nothing unique on those pages Uh, and so does that matter Um, you know John Mueller basically said well I'll read it out Just because something is recognized as duplicate content, or if parts of the page are recognized as duplicate content, isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just basically tells us we've seen this before, and if someone is searching for something in this block of text that's duplicated, we need to find out which of the pages that have that copy of text are most relevant. I think in the past, Um, I believe this has happened for some of my websites that uh, you could get two rankings uh, on a query because you could see like oh my main article on this page is ranking at say number three and then number four is my category page which also has this information and I feel like this is part of the deduplication that Google did back a while ago uh, where they you know they recognize look we're just gonna show the most relevant page from this website so if you have duplicate content on category pages it's probably not a big idea, but it means that those category pages probably aren't going to rank for much on their own. Um, Now, where I do think it could be an issue is if you've gone way overboard with your categories. And we do see some sites that like try to put every possible keyword as a category or as a tag. Um, And then you end up with thousands and thousands of pages that really don't matter for anything. Um, And when that happens, you know, it's possible that Google can just recognize, oh, this is the CMS going kind of wild here. That's not a a sign of low quality. It just means we have to pick the right page out of now hundreds of pages or thousands of pages uh, to rank. Um, But I also think it's possible that Google's algorithms can look and say like, wow, 90% of this website contains information that's pretty much useless, (laughs) Uh, contains pages that we never would want to rank. And I think that can impact Google's assessment overall for your website. I don't have exact proof of that. Although... John has said in the past a couple of times that every page from your website that's in Google's index gets counted towards uh, their assessment of quality for your site. So, um, you know, we always have a toss-up. Do we try to clean up the stuff? Because sometimes it can take ages to clean up. Uh, And, you know, I do feel like we've seen improvements after cleaning up this type of thing. But I don't think we've ever done that as the only thing we've improved on a website Uh, and so usually we say well you know we improved thin content as a whole uh, as overall as opposed to just on you know category pages hard to prove Um, we've got stuff in newsletter two on google's handling of singular versus plural words Uh, again this is from a help hangout and i'll just say that often google will see those as two different things Um, that uh, the example was if somebody was searching for garden shed sydney as opposed to garden sheds, Sydney, that Google will treat that as two separate things. Um, and in one situation, uh, you know, perhaps they want uh, to see information on a particular type of shed, and in other information, they want to see a list of different types of sheds. Um, and so that's something to pay attention to. Uh, Google can rank a plural version of a word Can treat it as a totally different meaning than a singular version. I think a lot of people miss out on that. Uh, One of the things John recommended, he said, um, another thing you could do is the page that's currently ranking, put some kind of call to action on it and say, hey, if you're looking for this, also check out this other page. So if you see like a page is ranking for the singular version of a keyword and you can't get it to rank for the plural version, then link to the plural version in case some people are are looking for that. Um, Is valid HTML a ranking factor? We've talked about this a lot before. It's not. You can have all sorts of HTML errors in your website, and Google's pretty good at figuring out whether your content is good. There is an exception, though, is if you have HTML errors and it causes the head of your document to break, then that could be an issue, Um, and it can push uh, some stuff that Google only looks for in the head of the body into the or of the document into the body, um, and what that means is that uh, maybe, for example, H. Lang, that you've got physically in the head, in the top of your documents, uh, Google's parser may consider that being part of the body if the head is broken. And it, so if you're finding that you've put stuff like hreflang or canonical or, you know, information that should be respected by Google and it's not, you may want to look at whether uh, something is broken in um, in your code, in the head of your body, er, body the head of your document. Um let's see here what do you do if a website has copied your content i've been asked this twice this week uh so uh, there's you know if somebody copies your content in most cases it shouldn't matter I had, years ago, I created this entire website uh, to sell Google penalty services when I decided, all right, I'm not going to go back to work being a veterinarian. Uh, I'm going to make a thing of this and actually make a business out of this. And so let's make a website and we'll advertise everything that I can about my knowledge on Google penalties and manual actions. And a certain, I guess a few months after I created this website, um all of a sudden I was getting notifications of uh, other mentions of me and it was somebody had made like a duplicate version and they changed some of the text here and there on pages. I think it was called googlerecover.com or something like that. Um, And they just changed all the contact information so that instead of coming to me, it went to them. And actually that's how I found it out because I got a, a lead from the contact form And I was like, what are you talking about? This doesn't make any sense. And it turns out that the lead, they forgot to change. Uh, They actually took the whole code that emailed the form to me, (laughs) which was bizarre. But anyways, what I did at that time was, yes, your first step is to file a DMCA request. And sometimes that works. In my situation, though, I think a lot of the time these DMCA requests, they're automated. And so they basically have a script that looks at your post or your website looks at the offending website and says are these duplicated and if they're not they just deny your request And there was there was not enough duplication um, and a lot of the duplication was in the images used and in the design elements which were hard to you know to prove um, to a, a tool that there had been duplication. And uh, so the DMCA request failed for me. Now, John Mueller said uh, if you're worried about them outranking you in search that you could file a web spam report... The thing is, the web spam reports, they're not likely to take action on that one particular site. And if there's something, like if these people had stumbled across some sort of a tactic that would make it so that they can duplicate your site and be more authoritative than you, so that Google's going to be ranking your website. um, If there's a, a practice that they're using, then filing a web spam report can make it so that the web spam team can catch on to this practice and write code so that it doesn't work anymore. Um, but it's very unlikely that that's going to get that particular website taken down. Uh, what worked for me was, I believe it worked. I'm trying to remember now. It was so many years ago. What I did, though, was actually reach out to the host of uh, this, this website, and I believe this website was hosted on GoDaddy, and I wrote to them and said, look, here's my website, here's their website, and their website is infringing on my copyright, and uh, you should take it down, and they did. I'm 99% sure they did. I could be wrong on that. Um, but yeah, so if you, if somebody's, see, because it's it's a legal issue for the host, I believe as well. Uh, they don't want to be hosting content that they could get sued for. So that's really uh, something that you could keep in mind. Um, the question in the help hangout about the site that had, copied their website was whether they should disavow the links that come from that website because in copying the website they also copied the internal links and the internal links were pointing to their own pages Uh, and John said really those should not hurt Uh, there's probably no benefit to disavowing those links because again they're not links that you put there in an attempt to manipulate Google's rankings Um, so you don't need to worry about that. It's really frustrating, though, when somebody uh, copies your own website, Um, you know, because we've put a lot of work into our websites, and for somebody to just come copy it is very, very frustrating. I get that. Um, Let's talk a little bit more about pages not getting indexed. I've talked about this a lot, and then uh, um, it was pointed out to me that... uh, Martin Split covered this in his most recent uh, interview with Alexis Sanders. Uh, and it's really good. It's an interview just talking about crawl budget. Crawl budget, um, and I don't know how much detail to get into here, but most sites don't need to worry about crawl budget. Uh, but what the question was was whether um, having too many pages uh, that have low quality content could impact your crawl budget. And, um, or whether the crawl budget could impact their ability to rank. So, you know, we've always said, like, hey, if you have hundreds of thousands of pages that are low quality, you don't want Google wasting their time crawling those. You want Google spending time crawling your great content. Like, why bother crawling all of this crappy content that's on, uh, you know, some part of your site that you don't really care about? And um, here's the quote that Martin said that really, really made uh, me think, It depends on what you say the issue is. Normally, crawl budget gets cited so many times where there actually wasn't an issue to begin with. The quality of the content is bad, and so we didn't index it. He says, so we crawl it, and we figure out, oh, this is not worth keeping, and we just de-index it. Is this a crawl budget problem? No, we've crawled it. It just was not good. And so this is um, more uh, evidence to show that, because a lot of people have been saying lately that something's wrong in terms of Google's ability to index new content. And a lot of people are reaching out to me on Twitter and saying like, hey, I'm producing this new content and none of it is getting indexed. There must be a problem on Google's side. And what Martin is saying backs up what we've been saying for a few weeks now, that uh, Google does an assessment to determine, should we put this in the index? And if you're finding, uh, Alexis actually went on to ask whether this is connected to what we see in Search Console with uh, crawled, not indexed, or discovered, not indexed. And Martin said, yes, like these pages are going to appear in that section of the report. So if you look at Search Console and you look at your um, coverage report and you see like, oh, all these pages that we wrote uh, let's say you had a bunch of pages where the only thing that existed on that page was a video and very little text and you're finding that the vast majority of these pages are coming up um, as crawled but not indexed then that can be a clue that Google treats these as lower quality and so the answer to that is improve the quality um, add some text add a transcription perhaps add things so that Google's not saying look Somebody could just go to YouTube for this. Why do we need to rank this website too? Um, You need to really, really make it worthwhile for Google to want to rank both of those in their index. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, Let's talk a little bit here about index. No index follow. Every time uh, I sat down to try to figure out how to talk about this in podcast, I just picture myself saying an endless number of times, no index follow, no index, no follow. Uh, so I'm going to try to summarize this quickly because I think this discussion could go on way, way too long. The question was, is there ever a case in the head of your document to use noindex, comma, follow? So when you use noindex in as a meta robots tag in the head of your document, you're essentially saying to Google's crawlers and other search engines, when you see this page, don't include it in your index. Now the second part of that is either follow or no follow, and um, in most cases, you know, if we have a page that we've marked as no index, we'll also put no follow. We'll say, look, we don't want this in the index, and there's no point in you crawling the links on this page. We don't want you to do that. Now, somebody was saying, like, is there ever a reason to put follow in there? Why does it even exist? Why don't we just have no index or index? Um, and, uh, Valentin Pletzer replied saying in one tracking implementation, they set the value of the robots meta as a custom dimension, explicitly setting index and or follow makes it easier to identify pages with no robots letter, uh, meta later on, um, And I believe what he's saying here is they're dynamically... I mean, they have a script that essentially can write on the page, uh, yeah, we want to make this no-index-follow or no-index-no-follow. And initially when I saw this, I was like, ooh, this is a good idea for sites that have sprawling forums. Now, I want to say I'm a little bit... I was a little bit off in my uh, reasoning for this because it has nothing to do with the follow. I'll come back to the follow. Uh, And my apologies, my... um, Uh, my attempts at making this short failed. Um, But uh, so the script could basically put in there, uh, yeah, we want this page to be no index. And you could change that dynamically based on the page. So for forums, often a big problem is you could have like, Many, many questions that are asked that don't have answers, and you wouldn't want to index those. But what if all of a sudden, like a month later, somebody comes and gives a great answer to that post, and you've got like a thumbs up system, and lots of people say, yeah, this is a great answer to my, po- my question. Um, then it's a great idea to like have a system that says, oh, once a post gets a certain number of thumbs up, or gets a certain number of replies, we want to add, uh, we want to make that indexable. You know that that's a reason to use dynamically uh, either no index or index. <laughs> you wouldn't, I, I mean, you wouldn't put index follow, but uh, you see what I'm saying. You can dynamically choose which pages are no indexed. Um, But then the discussion again comes back to what about this whole follow idea? And uh, John Mueller several, I want to say like maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago, made a statement that said that if Google comes across no-indexed pages, and they've been no-indexed for a certain period of time, they'll eventually stop following the links on that page. And that makes it so that if you've uh, added a follow tag, it's useless. Uh, And then, you know, people were saying, well, this doesn't make any sense. Like, we would like Google to still crawl through these pages. And John essentially said, uh, I'll read it here as a tweet. He says, I understand the desire, but technically links are between pages in an index. And if you don't want a page to be in an index, it's kind of hard to work out how those links are supposed to be treated. Like, ignore this page, but not really. And that makes sense. If we're telling Google, ignore this page and we want them to still crawl the links on that page, that's a lot of resources that Google's going to be using for stuff that's not even in their index. So uh, the gist of what I got from this conversation is um, don't bother using follow. Uh, in, I mean, there's no point. Follow is understood. And uh, if you want links no followed, then that's uh, you know a good idea to use that. I don't think we'll go into much detail on this, but SEMrush has announced that they are no longer taking guest posts, uh, and this probably comes on the heels of a lot of discussion about what is natural, what's not natural about guest posts. I'm still working on redoing my article on everything Google has said on that topic. I think you're going to find that really, really interesting. Uh, Just a point of note, though, I know SEMrush is always looking for fantastic content, and if you truly have something that is good, not just like, oh, I wrote something and I want a link, but something that really would help a lot of people in the SEO industry. I know for a fact that if you reach out uh, and it's good content, that uh, they'll want to publish it. Um, so I think one of the issues is a lot of these websites that, accept uh, guest posts, they spend huge portions of their day uh, going through a bunch of junk. <laughs> so if you have good content, uh, you know, you can reach out, and there's a good chance that you can get it published. I, that's that's my view. I you know I could be wrong on that. Maybe they've changed things, but I know Semrush is always looking for uh, people to write good stuff. Um, This was a note from Lily Ray, and this is a really big deal if you have an older WordPress site. Apparently, if you update to the latest version of WordPress, it comes with the latest version of jQuery, which is a library of JavaScript that a lot of WordPress themes use. Um, And I know I've made websites that are on an old, old version of jQuery, and I don't know if they're going to break when the new version comes. Um, These are old websites that I haven't looked at in many years, so they probably will break. Uh, But if you have an old version, Uh, and you're updating this is something to pay attention to every time you're updating your website you want to take a backup anyways but uh, just be aware that some some things could break uh, with this latest update in terms of local SEO, we don't have any news of a significant algorithm update, so that's good. Um, Joy Hawkins did uh, another test. They've been doing lots of tests at Sterling Sky lately. And uh, what she wanted to test was whether adding services in your Google My Business listing will impact your ranking for those keywords. And so what they did was they uh, they looked at... Um, They added a number of services for clients and looked at whether their keyword rankings improved over the following weeks, and the answer was no. Uh, It didn't seem to really help. So while the services can be useful for users, they probably don't impact your ability to, to rank in either organic or Google Maps. Um, this is good information for restaurants. Uh, it appears that Google My Business now has added some more control over third-party food order- ordering links. Uh, if you're a restaurant, you're probably aware that um, for a while Google was like inserting in uh, DoorDash or Grubhub or uh, Uber Eats that type of uh, uh, a link to a food delivery service. Um, in a lot of cases, this was. Uh, costing business owners money because uh, there's a fee involved with that, with that um, and, and you know a lot of these restaurants actually have their own services for uh, delivery so now you can opt out if Google has decided to put a third-party link in there you can opt out of it and you also can add your own link should you have your own um, uh, you know way to order food or uh, something like that on your website um, so that's very exciting and I'm glad that Google Google... Google has done that. I think we'll end with a couple of fairly quick questions. (laughs) Hopefully quick. This is the thing I'm always saying, I'll just go through this quickly and and you're still here listening. That's amazing. Um, Let's see. First question comes from Mary on Twitter. She says, if some parts of your website, approximately 25%, are not in a mobile friendly design, will those parts have a negative impact on the whole domain, especially regarding core algorithm updates? I'm going to give you my answer based on theory. I can't say 100% for sure here. Um, Biggest concern with mobile friendliness is that eventually, uh, you know, Google is only going to be using a mobile first indexed. Now mobile friendliness is not the exact same thing as being in the mobile first index. But what mobile first means is that they're going to crawl the mobile version of your site only and make all of their decisions based on you know all of their decisions of your content your links your schema all that stuff is going to be based on the mobile version of your website Um, so a lot of mobile unfriendly websites have things that you know are going to be missing and i think it really depends on whether uh your lack of mobile friendly design also means that there's a lack of important content on your desktop pages um so if your mobile-friendly pages for, or, or your pages that are not mobile-friendly are lacking schema, uh, and then Google moves you to mobile-first indexing and they're only looking at your mobile versions, they're not going to care if the schema is also on your desktop, uh, but it doesn't exist on mobile. So that's, that's a concern. The next question, which really uh, I have to take a guess on, is whether that impacts Google's assessment of quality for your website. I think it really comes down to... Um, what users think, Uh, you know, because some pages can be not necessarily mobile friendly, but they still work just great, Um, and in some cases they're super fast, Uh, not always, but if you have, let's say 25% of your site is not mobile friendly, and also loads insanely slow, I believe that can impact your assessment of quality for your entire site. It's possible that Google would only look at this one section uh, and say, all right, well, we won't rank that section when somebody needs a fast connection, uh, but maybe the rest of the website's fine. I I think ultimately it can affect your overall assessment of quality for the website. But again, it depends on how... Badly, the mobile unfriendliness, if that's a word, um, actually affects users. Uh, so I think it's not a question I can answer super quickly. Um, the, the reality is, though, that the entire web is going to be assessed uh, by just their mobile version at some point. You know, In the next year or so, I believe Google will not even be looking at the desktop version. And so if you want that part of your site to rank, it may be tricky, might be tricky. And we're going to end with this final question from uh, Michelle Kubat-Segovia. Michelle says, question for podcasts. Should you mark up FAQ on a page with lots of info about services and six FAQs mid-page? And, you know, Google's documentation on this is super complicated because I looked at the documentation and it didn't jive up completely with what is in my head. And so we actually had a big discussion amongst my staff. And then once we were done this, we were like, man, we should have recorded that discussion because it would have been way more interesting than me trying to <laughs> decipher what uh, what uh, what we, we came up with. Um, lots of websites use FAQ schema on pages that aren't completely FAQ pages. And where the confusion is, I think, is Google's documentation sort of makes it sound like you can only use FAQ schema. If the entire page is FAQ, but like, how often does that happen, right? Um, you know, I think it makes perfect sense that you have a services page and you have maybe some schema on that page for location, uh, and you know, you've got other types of schema on the page, and then you've got a section of the page that says, "Here's frequently asked questions about our business," and you mark that up with FAQ schema. That's totally, totally okay. Um, I think the underlying question here is whether Google would ignore the other types of schema on that page. Uh, and I, I, that's, I'm almost positive that's not the case. Like if you've marked up your location uh, schema, it's not like Google's going to say, oh, this page has FAQ schema, so we're going to ignore anything they've said about location. Um, but I think where the confusion comes is that if your markup produces some type of a rich result, and in this case, FAQ schema produces the rich result of potentially being shown in the search results as uh, frequently asked questions, right? So that's a rich result. If there's more schema on a page, like let's say there's other rich results. So say part of that page you marked up um, a product with review stars. Then Google will only, it seems like they'll only display one of those rich results. I know we talked a few episodes ago about uh, Claire Carlisle had a situation where she was putting FAQ schema on a service page and it was working great. And then when Google did the thing to deduplicate sites that got featured snippets, so you couldn't get two listings, right? Like in the past, she had the featured snippet and then she had... Um, uh, uh, an organic listing that was followed with FAQ stuff in the SERPs. Um, And then when Google did the deduplication, she only had the featured snippet and lost the FAQ portion. So sometimes what will happen is, uh, you know, you might change something and go, oh, great. You know, I wanted those review stars or I wanted that featured snippet or I want in this or in her case, I wanted the FAQ, but Google chose to display me as a featured snippet. They won't do both in a lot of cases. So the ultimate answer to this question is just try it out um, and let me know. I, I think it doesn't take that much work to mark up a page. And so, um, you know, a, a short amount of time, you should be able to do that. Give it a little bit of time for Google to recrawl it and see what happens and see if you're happy with what uh, what the results are. Uh, and I think that's probably the best answer is just do it. And uh, there's really no harm in doing it. It's kind of like when you get a schema manual action. <laughs> you uh, you know, you can break the rules in schema and uh, uh, or rich snippets in and then all of that happens is you just lose the the review stars or whatever you were trying to, to break the rules with. Um, and there's absolutely no lasting penalty at this point. You can just go back and change your schema so it's in line with Google and then everything's back to normal. So go ahead and test. I don't think what you're doing is against Google's guidelines by any means. I think you're fine there. Well, another super long episode. Thank you so much for listening. I I thoroughly enjoy talking about the news every week, and it keeps me up to date to understand what Google's doing. Uh, We have a cool thing coming up with our company. Uh, We've been doing, because we're all working remotely, and um, it's really had an impact in, uh, for me anyways, not seeing my staff's amazing happy faces every day has uh, super impacted me. And so we started doing, uh, every Thursday we do office trivia. It's a whole lot of fun. And we do it as a video call uh, and you know goof around a fair amount. And uh, there's a local agency here, SEO Plus, that um, kind of got word of this. And so they challenged us to a trivia off. Is that a word? Trivia off? We're going to do trivia against each other and see who does better. I told my team they need to put me on the opposite team because I'm not very good at it for some reason. But it's going to be fun. We're, we're going to do that. If you are an agency that we've connected with at some point, uh, if you've connected with MHC, then uh, and you're interested in doing this, then you can reach out to us. Um, probably the best way is to tweet at the MHC underscore Inc Twitter account. That's run by Summer um, and uh, of our team, and she'll uh, she'll get you set up, and we can maybe do a little inner office uh, rivalry and see uh, if you know more trivia than we do. Uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. We've got loads of stuff that's in newsletter that I didn't have time to cover today. Um, Some alternatives to the structured data testing tool that's going away (laughs) because the rich results tool only tests structured data that actually produces rich results. So that's frustrating. Uh, Tips for figuring out what's causing your cumulative layout shift problems, which uh, is a part of the core web vitals. We've got stuff on whether having too many 404 pages will impact your ability to rank and uh, a really cool tool to allow you to see Google Trends right in your search results. I just uh, put this Chrome extension on uh, for me and I'm really enjoying it. So we talk about that in newsletter as well. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next week with uh, more news and we'll see, um, you know, it's been a couple months since we had a massive update. So who knows, maybe something's coming. Uh, I'm not saying that out of any inside information, by the way. It's just kind of, it happens. It always happens in the summer. Remember August 1st, 2018, that was probably one of the biggest updates we've had in decades. So August is a good month for updates. Thanks so much for listening. And I wish you the best of luck with your rankings.